to the Coolerverse podcast. If you are here for yoga-based conversations, you are in the right place. This is a place for fun and gentle conversation where I talk to members of Adrian Mishler's social media community, The Cooler. My guests are people like you and I who have found yoga and yoga with Adrian to be a deeply helpful, restorative and enriching part of their lives. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Coolerverse. When I started this podcast, it was always my desire and aim to not only interview members of the global Yoga with Adrian community, but also to talk to people who could enrich our knowledge of yoga practice, philosophy and science. Today's guest is the first in a series of such people. Today we discuss compassion and future specials will include ageing, neuroscience and maybe, just maybe, one on yoga and humour. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to today's show. So this, as most of you who listen to this show know that this this podcast is really aimed at uh, Adrian Mishler's wider yoga of Adrian community and particularly people in her social media community, The Cooler. But I think when I started off this podcast, one of the things I thought would be really, really nice because yoga is such a a huge subject of which I know very little about would be to have someone who specialises in a particular field of, of yoga and linking it with something else today. And I was very fortunate a few weeks ago to go to an online training. I'm hoping we're just talking about it beforehand to go to when it's face to face. But I was very fortunate to go to a training uh, with Dr. Sunil Ladd and uh, one of his colleagues, uh, Deirdre Faye, who's a psychotherapist. And it was on the the subject was yoga and uh, a type of psychological therapy called compassion focused therapy. And uh, it was such a good workshop. And out of that, I thought, do you know what, it'd be really good to get Sunil to come and talk to us a little bit about his journey around yoga, his work. He's a consultant counselling psychologist who works in a, a healthcare trust in the NHS, and uh, perhaps he can tell us a little bit more about that. And he works in some very interesting areas, I think. So there might be quite a bit in terms of how he applies some of this into his his, his work as well. So we've got a broad rating conversation. So Sunil, thank you and welcome to today's show. And thank you, Andrew, for inviting me. It's an honour to be here and yeah, just welcoming all of your listeners. Thank you. Could you say it now? Obviously, we have a global audience. Could you say a little bit about like where you are in the UK? Because mm-hmm. some people have no only know London, <laughs> maybe Edinburgh. <laughs> and just say a little bit because I, I hinted at you did some very specialist things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I live in the Midlands of the UK, about 100 miles north of London. And so basically for the last 15 years or so throughout my career, I've worked in prisons. So I've, I've worked predominantly mainly with men in prisons. And, and I guess over my career, I've started to just try to understand why do people not only experience mental health distress, but then why do some people end up in the criminal justice system? So I guess when I think about my career, I started off working with um, people with drug and alcohol issues. And, and what really came out were people had experienced high levels of trauma. And that's what then went led to me to go and train as a psychologist Having already done my undergraduate degree in psychology, I then got on to the doctorate program and then worked in the community a couple of years. And then I came back to prisons in a way. So, yeah, I guess over the last 11 years, I've I've done many different types of roles within the criminal justice system. So I've worked predominantly in mental health teams um, in a range of prisons, so high secure with young offenders, so 18 to 21s, um, so a wide range of people in terms of human behaviour. And, and I guess one of the things that I started to recognise is when I was doing therapeutic work, sitting with the distress, trying to realise, I think I just started to sit with a lot of suffering of not only people who'd experienced suffering, but people who'd also caused suffering. And, and then... A few years later, I went and did some compassion-focused therapy training Mm. where I met Chris Irons. And and, and that's when things started to shift for me, kind of the evolutionary model by Paul Gilbert to understand that we've got these emotions which are millions of years years old. And and, and we've not got a choice in experiencing them. They're the product of this evolution that we've not got a choice over. And, And it just started to make sense. Um, for me, in terms of the experiences that 
you know, if we think about the fight and flight system to, to recognize that if we've had been in environments where our fight and flight system needed to be on all the time, well, for the people that I've been working with, it made a lot of sense. So, so I guess that started my journey into compassion. And then after that, um, I went and I, I was just going to yoga classes here and there. And um, what started to happen, so initially when I started yoga classes, it was just to exercise. Working as psychologists, we get stuck in our chairs for long periods of time. Um, I wasn't moving much and I was stuck in the car a lot. So I was like, actually, it's not good for my fitness. I'm feeling sluggish. I'm feeling tired. I think I need to go and find an an exercise which is accessible for me. And I thought, actually, I like the sound of yoga. That sounds quite nice. So I I started to go to some classes. And and can I ask, Sonal, when you did your psychology training, your clinical training, obviously they're going to be talking about the body and the threat system and all the things that you cover and, you know, cognitive development etc was there much about say body work and the link between the sort of body and brain or was it almost treated like there's the brain Mm -hmm. yeah definitely I think I think when we think and and we obviously covered this in my workshop in, Mm. in terms of the history of understanding the body and the brain is that we've separated them um, the mind has been seen as something very separate to to understanding the body, and and you know even the history of how we've studied the body has been very reductive, very scientific, which has been great. You know, it's created lots of good treatments, but at the same time, we've kind of separated the two. And if we think about the definition of yoga, it is about union, and I guess that's you know, that that kind of different perspective has started to shift my experience and understanding. And I think even when we're looking at things like pain science, we're realizing it's not just basic levers, for example, or basic algorithms. It's a lot more complex. It's an embodied experience. But also, if we think about the work of Bessel van der Kolk, we also know the body keeps score. The body remembers. We've got, you know, memories stored within our body, not just our brain. Mm. So you've mentioned some of the people there, so like Paul Gilbert, who's a professor, who really sort of developed that sort of compassion focus model, which we were talking about, Chris Irons, and then Bessel van der Kolk, who's got a long history in terms of working with trauma. Can I ask you a little bit, you know, when you went back to your early yoga classes, mm. um, because I've certainly been to yoga classes, which is sort of like, almost like fitness classes. Mm -hmm. Can you remember what your early yoga classes were like? And and were they, I don't know, were were they what you expected? Or did you suddenly think, oh, there's something going on here between the brain and the the body? Yeah, it was was quite, I think, yeah, it was was, for being a psychologist going there, I started to recognize all sorts of things. So I know one of the one of the first teachings I had was just when I was in a warrior three, for example, and my teacher was saying just to be aware of the breath and recognize the more you push, how that affects the breath. And if you do relax the breath, mm-hmm. what starts to happen? And, and yeah, I guess I started to then starting to connect with what were the thoughts going through my mind, which had an impact on that felt experience in my body, but also how that restricted my breath by pushing further, which prevented me from actually getting in the pose. So it was those kind of early experiences where I started to recognize what is the relationship to my mind, to my body. And I guess very interestingly in therapy now, I often notice how are my clients breathing, what's kind of happening in the Mm -hmm. room. So they might be saying certain things, but I can notice that the breathing where the shoulders are are tensed really high, the breathing is really shallow and and just inviting people because, again, these are unconscious patterns that might have developed for a very long time, just getting people to recognize, okay, this is what's happening to your body. Can we just slow down? Um, And there's the class that you went to originally. Was it many women or was there some men? Yeah, it was it was predominantly women, and mm. and I guess I, I was I was conscious of that. I did then did go to a, a male only class as well. Oh, really? Okay, how interesting. Yeah, the teacher was offering a male only class, and I guess it was very different. And and I don't know whether there's something about being a man. You go and you get a bit more competitive. Um, and I remember there was definitely I was conscious of myself being 
I'm, I'm sure the, the guys around me weren't competitive at all. But I guess I was focusing a lot more on the people around me. Could I get into that pose? Oh, I don't feel good enough. I need to push myself harder. So I think there is something about um, what we might unconsciously do, because when we might be in a group with other men, we might be more competitive compared to when we are with when, when there's a more of a mixed class, for example. But I guess that is also, you know, this is something that I've been talking to my yoga teacher about is actually how can we get more men into yoga as well? They are predominantly women. Um, and I think, you know, yoga isn't about, for me, um, about flexible poses. You know, we often see all these pictures on Instagram. And I think it frustrates me a little bit because I guess that has become the version of what people see yoga as being rather than actually yoga is about this ancient knowledge of getting into your body developing awareness it isn't about a perfect pose mm, yeah and i think you're right because i on in instagram you um you get these things where everyone looks amazing and they're wearing great clothes it's always photographed nicely mm. and uh, i mean i guess one of the things that uh it highlights it for me is that you know even right in the the your early years of doing yoga you were already sort of making that link thinking yeah oh, what's going on here and uh, and broadening out the fact that yoga isn't just a series of physical postures it's not just mm. like going to an aerobics class mm. uh, there can be that element but it's a much broader i guess uh, body of tradition and and in fact you've been training as a yoga teacher haven't you i think or you've begun the journey of training yeah 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 i guess it, it's just the beginning so so yeah that was about four years ago now so okay my, yeah my 250 hour teach training which was over a six month period mm. um in birmingham in the uk i guess the reason for that was you know i'd been on a couple of retreats and yoga was then just the movement. And I was realizing, actually, it goes a lot deeper than that. Um, I think, you know, coming from an Indian heritage, I didn't have yoga around uh, growing up. So what, whilst, whilst I am from an Indian heritage, I didn't know anything about yoga. And what I started to recognize as I started to pick up a couple of books on it is that it wasn't just about the postures, it wasn't just about the physical movement. Actually, it comes from a rich history of a, a deep philosophy of understanding the human mind. Uh, you know, yoga sutras are a really key text in really understanding the mind. And I think I've been trying to explore them as well, especially as being a psychologist, trying to understand mm. what ancient knowledge is there about the mind um, that, that we, we're kind of learning about in terms of contemporary science. And yeah, of course, we, you know, learning about the breath, learning about just also the restraints, you know, the, the different uh, yamas and niyams. So, so, you know, kind of thinking about nonviolence and, and how can we live a life not full of greed and, you know, really being being conscious of, you know, for example, how are we eating and all of these restraints, if we put them into our practices, it can really invite that kind of sense of compassion. You know, we see a lot of suffering and harm in the world at the moment, just in terms of how we might speak to each other and all of those things. And, and, and these restraints, these, you know, the yamas and niyams really give us guidance. And I think it's important that we kind of think about how do we make them apply, whether it's on the mat or off the mat. And, and, and kind of, I think what I love about Sanskrit is also um, that we can, we can start to connect, you know, if we read the Yoga Sutras, I would really advise people to read many different interpretations um, because it's about what, how, how, how you can develop personal meaning to yourself rather than following one person's interpretation of it. Mm. And I, I was listening to uh, Eddie Stern was talking mm. to, to interviewing a neuroscientist about it the other day and uh, also having seen some of his posts and 
the, 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 I mean, I think he was showing his particular piles of books from the original Sanskrit writings, and it was just a phenomenal body of knowledge, which I have to say I, I had no idea it was so extensive. Thinking about it, it's not a surprise, but it is just a, a mammoth amount of knowledge. And I guess that's what uh, doing a, that beginning that yoga teacher training allows you to sort of think, where on earth do I start with all this? You know? And it, and it uh, pr- really provided a foundation and an introduction which again, you know, you're not always going to get in a in a cl- in an hour's class. You know, this was 250 hours of mm. of sitting and reading and teaching and discussion and yeah, it was it was it was a brilliant time and a lot of learning. And when I look back, I was just thinking, how how did I manage that with a full time job of working in the NHS? <laughs> I obviously did something. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how sometimes you, especially if you feel a joy and passion, and it's different mm-hmm. to what you can find the time. We've obviously talked about compassion, mm-hmm. and that's how, well, we've never actually met, but if you see what I mean, in this sort of online virtual world we have these days, how we we sort of met. Um, could you describe what your understanding of, of compassion is because, and, and how that relates to yoga, really? Mm-hmm. So so I guess I'll, I'll use Paul Gilbert's um definition of compassion Mm. which is a sensitivity to suffering um, with a commitment to alleviate and prevent it and I think this goes on the notion and it's a very it's it's a very buddhist um, there's a buddhist background to this and it's about recognizing that life is full of suffering whether we like it or not and I guess it's about how do we how do we kind of descend into recognizing that how do we develop distress tolerance because again if we think about how we're developed our fight and flight system might come on which means that we try and avoid suffering you know we might try and fight suffering and I think it's really important that we develop the skills to be able to sit with that pain and 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 really recognize when it pops up and I guess if I think about the work that I've been doing in my career I recognize that people again have experienced lots of whether it's trauma um, or, or various negative experiences they've often learned to shut down their suffering through different ways for example it could be substance misuse uh, we might see other types of addictions whether that's food gambling sex there could be all sorts of addictions people develop. Um, and, and I think it's important that we think about, well, what are alternatives? How do we sit with the suffering of what we're trying to avoid, which some of those behaviours might mask? And one of the things I think that's really counterintuitive in our society is, in terms of the suffering is to sit quietly and mm. or, or whether you're doing a yoga posture and be focusing on the breath because you know, we have such busy lives and it's easy to fill our minds up with external stimuli, whether it's mm-hmm. Netflix or Instagram or whatever it might be, or gaming or whatever. And ne- or work. actually or work indeed. Yeah. We were a work based society. And I was reading recently, uh, Bronnie Ware, this uh, a really nice book called The Five Top Regrets of the Dying. And um, one of them for many people who she was a palliative care nurse caring for people with terminal illness. And for many people who were dying, they were reflecting on their lives, saying, I wish I hadn't worked so much. I spent more time with my friends and pursuing my interests and seeing mm-hmm. my family. And and I think that uh, you know, life goes by very quickly, doesn't it? And actually being able to to stop and pause. In your yoga journey, did you find that you had people you could engage with on this? I'm supposing in your YTT, your yoga teacher training you did, but did other people sort of resonate with it? Family members, you know, you were saying you're from an Indian heritage. Did other people ex- resonate with what you were talking about? Um, I guess it really started with, with, with my yoga um friends the, the people I mm. trained with and and you know they are still really good kind of people I can go to when I'm trying to think about something you know mm. I, I guess my my yoga teacher is is a good friend and it feels like I've developed a good community there it's been it's been hard for me to kind of take it initially to different areas of my life just because of having a full-time job so I guess I can mm didn't get, give me the ability to teach until the lockdown. So so actually the lockdown back last year, you know, 18 months ago, actually it led to a couple of my friends saying, we've got lots of time, 
you're a yoga teacher it'd be really nice to have some classes and I was like okay brilliant so I did I did a weekly class um oh fantastic because I guess you know for me yoga wasn't about an income it wasn't going to be mm. about a job it was more about doing something which I was getting a lot out of personally um and then to be able to share that with my friends was amazing so yeah it started off with doing a class for my friends which then led to another class with my family and and yeah with your, with your family mm-hmm. as well oh really yeah, okay so, <laughs> so aunts uncles cousins um and and yeah even now we, we try and do a monthly class now as well oh, amazing um so, so it's, it's yeah it's been a really nice way to kind of especially during the lockdown connect and you know back then I was able to see my friends and family on a weekly basis and and yeah kind of the feedback I've got that it's been an honor to be able to introduce yoga to them as well yeah and it sounds like you were doing that that from almost like a that compassionate kindness stance actually you know what I've got this time and I've got these skills and mm-hmm. I'll share this with you, which I think is, uh, I guess, is one of the key philosophies. Uh, yes. There's probably specific names for it in, in the ancient Sanskrit, which um, I don't know, but you might. Yeah, I think it's it's really important. And I think that's the thing. When we start to get into the body, things mm. start to unfold. If, if we start, you know, if we think about where the heart is based, you know, compassion, um, whilst I've, I've kind of explained the scientific element, I guess it's, you know, if we think about compassion it's also a motivation to care for others if we think about suffering how do we have that caregiving motivation where we really help to recognize that we all suffer we're all in this together and and actually how do we support others whether that's through their body whether it's through their mental health whether it's through their physical being um and and i think you know for me it's about how to get people to recognize their bodies um, in whatever thing that they can do. You know, I guess one of the things I didn't say was, you know, yoga was extremely therapeutic for me personally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I've come, so, so so I've got a physical health condition, uh, which means that I'm four foot tall. So, so I guess for me, you know, kind of thinking about the life experiences I've had with my body, mm-hmm at times in terms of people looking at you and all that kind of stuff have been yoga again has got me to recognize you know how have I held my body how have I frozen at times how have I remained stuck and actually how do I get that level of unstuckness how do I actually when I freeze how do I Mm -hmm. change that which means that I can go back to thinking rationally you know and, and not acting impulsively or, or just shutting down. Mm, and I, I think one of one of my experiences, uh, you won't have seen it, but say on the cooler, which is a, it's a social media platform, but it's certainly not like lots of others. There may be similar ones elsewhere. But one of the things that people will put on there, you know, their, their struggles and their things that are hard, which is great. So it's like real life. You know, it's, I'm not the only one. But also people will regularly put on there, look, I was doing this practice and I suddenly burst into tears. Mm-hmm. I was suddenly overwhelmed by this emotion. I don't know where it came from. Mm. And and it can be sometimes it can be unsettling. Sometimes it can be quite cathartic. But that's not an uncommon experience. And I I sometimes wonder because I never saw that in a public class. But I see this you know, these some online yoga where people are at home, mm-hmm. and it's almost like maybe interesting. I don't know if there's any research on it. A little bit more freeing in some ways. Yeah, I, I guess again, if if we think about safety or safeness, mm. for example, I guess there's. If, you know, socially we're taught, if you end up crying in front of others, especially if we've had early life experiences, um, if we're told crying is bad, you need to be embarrassed, you need to, you know, get over it, you need to be strong and man up and all of that, kind, all of those type of messages, the ability then to kind of access those emotions will be really um, thwarted in a way. So, so. And again, if we start to take ourselves into the body, we're not in the head and, and, and just allowing the body, you know, listening to the wisdom of the body, it might mean that tears might come out, that might we might feel overwhelmed. And, and, and I think it's really important that we think about how to look after ourselves 
within that process how to be caring and compassionate because there's a risk that we beat ourselves up over those kind of normal human experiences. And I, I remember vividly when you were talking about sort of uh, certainly how we might, you know, in terms of emotions in public, my mum, my dear, my dear mum, when I was about six or seven, I think I was stung by a wasp and I cried. Um, I'm, I'm sure with the best meaning in the world, she said, no, Andrew, you mustn't cry. You're a boy, you grow up to be a and strong, you know, big, strong man. So mm-hmm. that sort of cultural message mm-hmm. of, of not crying. And, you know, I think I very much internalise that now, So internalise that. And I'm aware of that. I mean, I, one of the things I think um, my experience was that uh, I remember I used to work in the NHS and I had to leave because of extreme stress. Mm. And I remember for the year I was off work after that, going to, I was very fortunate to find two fantastic yoga teachers. And I went to two very different classes each week. Mm-hmm. And I look back on that now, and I'm probably just thinking this now, how important those classes were, as well as other types of exercise, meditation, and, and some specialist input. Uh, therapy input i was getting but i remember i think they were real sort of havens for me Mm. um and you know in terms of just safe and i could push my one was a nice sort of gentle mellow class and one was quite demanding so it was quite nice actually Mm. and i think that that's a really important point to recognize actually what i would urge people to do is actually don't just look at one school of yoga to actually try different types and and, and recognize that our bodies need different things at different times as well. And and sometimes the nicely packaged um, classes might be great to, to support your strength, but actually it's important that we also shift to think about how do we surrender? How do we let go and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and recognize that there's, there's, a deep, um, not flexibility, but a, a, a deep variety um, that is available. And, and I think that's that's a really good thing. Yeah, and I came across um, a Yoga Nidra, which I'd never heard of until I listened to uh, uh, the Huberman Lab podcast. And Andrew Huberman is a professor of ophthalmology and neuroscience. Talks about this, uh, what he called non-sleep deep rest. And uh, and he mentioned Yoga Nidra. And mm-hmm. there's someone I do, Ali Bouvroyd. I give her a shout out. She's Canadian yogi. And I do a Yoga Nidra pretty much every day. And uh, this restorative practice where you're not, it's not pose based. I, mm. I really love it. I'm really mm. curious then, so now, you know, in terms of because it's what comes across is that you're really passionate about this and, and it's really sort of how do I convey this? And uh, it's not just about the physical posture. How do, you, how do you convey that in your lessons? Obviously, if we were in a lesson, it'd be much easier to, to yeah. grasp it. But are you very overt about it or is it just sort of implicit in, in your manner and how you do things? I guess I would say that it is really subtle um yeah. I think what I've started to learn because I guess sometimes again it's we, we learn through our heads in a way and I guess what I want to do within my teaching when I'm teaching yoga is actually how do we make things land in the body and and rather than thinking overtly just recognizing so for example if we are pushing actually when are we also pushing off the mat how does that start to appear also for example if we're thinking about the yamas and niyams actually are we being non-violent to ourselves whether that's the form of i'm sorry violent to ourselves whether that's the form of self-critical thoughts are we constantly berating ourselves and when we do what impact does that have on our body so for example if we can't get into a pose or your body just doesn't move in that way what happens? Do you then start to compare yourself to others? Um, and, and would you would you be saying that to people as you are doing the poses? Would you be almost like a little bit of coaching and things? Yeah. So, so what oh, I would okay. do is is just kind of prompt some questions out there. Mm. So, as you're moving in in between downward dogs, just recognize actually, is this how you move in your life? How are you going to take this learning away? What happens to your breath? when you're pushing, when you're trying to get yourself into a warrior three. That's such rich, I think, what a rich experience. Mm. And I think had I not been a psychologist, I might not have done that. Mm. I mean, obviously, maybe, especially if you're doing it with friends and family, what's the sort of feedback they give you? Because I guess some people might have been to other yoga yoga classes and things, which are a little bit different, Uh, Not maybe not better or worse, just different. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the sort of feedback about that? 
their, their experience? I think people have really recognised how much they can connect to their body. Again, I guess my yoga classes, the feedback I've had is that they don't feel like exercise classes. They feel like a lot more connection and awareness has developed mm. into their bodies. I guess my my teacher also, because of how he's taught, he's kind of really tried to update himself with the science. So it's not about the position or where your leg position should be. Mm. It is about that felt experience of the body, but also understanding things like fascia and all the research coming out in terms of movement science and and, and really those slow type of movements. So I've been really trying to get an understanding of those type of things and, and again, recognising how emotions and memories might be in the body. So recognising that actually where do these patterns come from in terms of how mm. you move. Also, if you've been sitting at a desk trying to recognise, actually, let's try and push our shoulders back, for example, and recognise how our breath might be slightly constricted because... Of, of our shoulders being forward. So really getting people to to recognise how those patterns in their week affect them when they come to a class. So one of the things that I'm, that's coming across is that for you there's that, and I'm sure this is the same for many yoga teachers, but I think sometimes it's maybe it's a little bit more explicit for you, is that there's that real marriage of the ancient wisdom mm-hmm. with actually, you know what, this is what we're learning about how the fascia works and what we can do with it and uh, and in my case how rigid it is it's, like, it's, like, it's not shifting i know it takes a long time but also i mean i think one of the things is um i can imagine that when people like if they've been to other yoga classes this is probably quite a could be quite oh this is quite different mm-hmm. to uh, what i've been to before and uh, i think it's very exciting yeah. it's really exciting and really rich how do you um do you explicitly bring compassion into it compassion for yourself for others and an experience and accepting compassion as well do you bring that into your classes yeah again again it can be quite subtle so i try and mm. have a um sankalpa at the beginning kind of like we did in our workshop of, of having an intention of of compassion either for ourselves or, or for others you know you might want to dedicate your class I mean your practice to someone else who might be could you just say what a sankalpa is for people who are not familiar with that I I had only really come across it when I started doing the yoga nidra sessions I'd not heard of it before I guess the sankalpa is um a having an intention so when you start really thinking about what is your intention today so someone might come to the practice and say today i just want to really be soft in my breathing i guess it's 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 probably a bit deeper than that i'd say okay it would yeah. be about recognizing recognizing a bit of you know thinking about suffering and trying to elite so again from that compassionate perspective mm. trying to think about alleviating a sense of suffering could you give an example of what someone might use as a sankalpa so it might be setting an intention that I wish that this person who I realize is struggling, I want to give them some good wishes, some positive healing, and I dedicate yeah. my practice to them. Um, so I'm putting in that energy for them because I realize that they're really suffering at the mm. moment. Or it might be recognizing that actually – I want to have, I'm doing this class with the intention that I'm really struggling and I want to shift that. So it's, it sounds a little bit like uh, metta or loving kindness meditation in, in Buddhism, which mm. uh, I do regularly and I find it really, really powerful as well. And there is something about wanting the best for people, I think, you know, to be at ease or to be at best as well. So so again, that's something different that I wouldn't have experienced typically in a, in a real in a a real class you see what I mean I think for instance I'm sure lots there are teachers online now who do say that what, what do you want to get from this class today they might not use that the, the term sankalpa but yeah how would you like your yoga practice to develop then because um obviously you've got this you know you 
profession and you're, you've got a lot of responsibility. I'm sure you supervise people and, and train and all these sorts of things. How would you like things to develop for you? I think, so, so working within the NHS, I think we, again, thinking about that mind-body split, I think it would be great if we can get people more connected to their minds and their bodies, um, whether that's staff working in the NHS or whether that's our, our, our clients in a way, I think our education of, rec- you know, our, our body awareness education is pretty poor. And, and I think that, you know, if we, even if we think about pain, for example, you know, what do we do if we do experience pain? Do we quickly pick up some paracetamol or do we try and think about what is that pain about? Can I really listen to my body? And again, you know, being aware of, what are we putting into our bodies when we're eating, when we're drinking? All of those things mm. have a cumulative effect and, and that impacts on our health in a way. You know, we know in terms of all this, all the research coming out in terms of microbiome, um, but also thinking about how are we eating? Are we eating? And, you know, I know in a, in a busy day, this isn't good for me that I might rush my lunch and 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 just those kind of you know those levels of awareness we are so switched off in terms because of the busyness of our lives so how can we balance it out more how can we, as a result how can we improve health how can we get more connected how can we also listen to pain um and and again mm-hmm. you know this the skills and 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 strength of compassion can really support us to do that we did I did do a a mindfulness for pain group um, not long after I did um, my yoga teacher training where we did some education on understanding the body and the breath and the nervous system and all of those kind of things and then we did some practices and and what was quite clear was that actually people had recognized that they'd experienced all sorts of traumas within their bodies that they'd then shut off from or been prescribed a lot of medication to switch off. But actually what then they started to do was connect to it. And, and, you know, again, having that space to talk about it, a safe space, Mm. meant that actually they were able to connect with it and understand their pain um, in a different way. And there's a, I think there's a really, uh, David, I think it's David Campbell who uh, has written his recent book, Why Woo Woo Works. He's a biochemist, I think, originally, and but he's looking at the science of a lot of mind-body mm-hmm. approaches, such as Reiki, for instance, mm-hmm. or traction or mindfulness. And he looks at, in, in a wonderful, but it's a book that's just come out. It's really rich in terms of, do you know what? There is some hardcore and increasingly good peer-reviewed research about this sort of stuff that mm-hmm. says, actually, this stuff works. Yeah. This makes sense. Although you can't just do it once and then hopefully it's all resolved. Yeah. So, and you know, the outcome and the, the feedback from that group was good because I know that uh, mindfulness is used a lot in, sort of pain management and yeah and and really being able to understand pain because again we don't Mm. always get educated in terms of you know of course we feel it and it feels overwhelming but also recognizing that the not only the physical part of that but also you know beliefs and 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 stories around pain Mm. and even experiences we might have had where we might have learned to shut off pain as well and you know how, how that affects our neural pathways um, so I think it's really important that we spend time thinking about that and talking about that to people. And but but not notwithstanding that pain is extremely tough and mm. doesn't feel nice. And it's not about saying what you're doing is wrong or saying it's all in your head and you can you know get over it type thing. It's really about having a compassionate, caring approach of understanding what's going on, how do our nervous systems work, but also what influence activity or beliefs also have on it as well and it is right i've amazed i, I during the lockdown I, the first lockdown i i uh, injured my left shoulder and had a, a sort of physio online uh and I diagnosed it as an impinged shoulder um, mm. shoulder ligament uh, rotator cuff i think it was and uh it was only recently i got my act together to go to a mass sports massage therapist mm-hmm. and it was amazing how i'd got even with my yoga, I knew it was the movement was limited, but it was amazing how my body had accommodated to 
to this. Mm -hmm. And since then, the freedom and sense of being able to do those postures mm -hmm. is is quite remarkable, yeah. actually. It's really helpful. So, so one of the things, Sonal, it would be really nice because we um, that your workshop was around. We were talking about self compassion and the importance of how when we're compassionate to ourselves in different ways, that brings so many different benefits. You know, physical, emotional, relational, mm -hmm. a whole range of different things. Is it possible that you could do uh, a self compassion practice now, just so that the listeners get a sense, a little sense of what it, what it means? Because obviously, it's not. It might not be a yoga posture, but a practice but that would be really helpful well i was thinking actually it might be quite nice given that this is about a yoga community to to do something which is a yoga posture actually. okay yeah fantastic so if that's okay yeah yeah so what do people need to do to prepare i mean I'm, we do the usual caveats please don't do this while you're driving yep. or operating heavy machinery yeah <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> but, but obviously be in a space which is um quiet and where they're probably on their own as well, yeah. um, because yeah. otherwise you don't want to be distracted by whatever's going on around you. Okay. okay. So do I need to stand up out of my chair and take my headphones off? I, I, I have to say, listeners, this is very exciting. <laughs> I get out of my chair. So um, I guess one of the things, if we're thinking about compassion, I often talk about, well, Paul Gilbert talks about strength, wisdom, and courage. So I think um, it might be really nice to get yourself if you know what the warrior two position is. So it's up to you, whatever side you want to go. Again, focus not in a way where you're causing any um, pain to yourself. So this is just about being in a comfortable posture with your legs apart. And if you can, bring your arms out, looking over your front arm, looking over your fingers. Just notice your shoulders. Can you kind of draw your shoulder blades down your back and just breathe in and breathe out? So in your warrior two, if we think about the word warrior, a warrior has lots of strength. But also if we think about compassion, the qualities of compassion are also around courage. So what I really like you to do is invite this sense of compassion, of strength, courage, and care. So care for yourself and care for others. So in front of you, looking over your fingers, just try and imagine that you've got something where, which causes a sense of suffering for you in your life. But rather than moving away from it, what you're doing in this warrior two stance is that you're facing it. What's helping you to face it is a sense of courage and wisdom and strength. So just notice as you invite wisdom, strength and courage, how does it feel in your body? Doing a scan all the way down from your toes, which are connecting to the floor, moving up your legs to your belly, and then placing your attention to your heart. So moving your hands now from that wide position, placing both hands on your heart, start to connect how that feels bringing that courage inwards from outside, trying to listen to the wisdom of the body. What is your body connecting you with now? Whether there is a sense of pain and suffering, but also the fact that you've got strength and courage to sit with it, that it will pass, or even listening to what wisdom starts to pop up in your mind from your body. Does it give you a sense of understanding, which hasn't been always accessible from your head? Let's take a deep breath in and a deep breath out, connecting with your heart and then just gathering your thoughts with what that practice made you connect with. And then thinking about taking it forward. And then whenever you're ready, coming back.
Right. I'm just plugging my headphones in again. I've <laughs> <laughs> got the old style Y ones. <laughs> ah, thank you, Sunil. That was, uh, that was very kind. It was an interesting experience, I think. Um, for me, there's something, um, because the, uh, the hands on the heart is certainly something I do in my meta meditation. Mm -hmm. And uh, which I do most days, uh, and that immediately doing that for me, it's almost like a it's, it's emblematic, really, of mm. trying to be kind and trying mm -hmm. to be compassionate to to others and to myself and, and to beings as well, all beings. Yeah. And I think when you said as well about reminding about the breath as well, I, I really like that. It's a really um, it's a powerful practice. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And got mm. something out of it. And I guess yeah. that's the thing. Sometimes it won't be an enjoyable because it might feel a bit painful because of what you get in touch with. Mm. And also holding the posture for a while is mm. uh, in itself um, sort of challenging. How would you How would you then say, to, what advice would you pe for people then if, say, something's come up for them or, or whatever? What would you say to just to take it forward? I guess it's then about really listening to the body. I guess then patterns might mm. appear if, for example... Like we've said, if you've learned to avoid it and shut off, just recognize is that then a pattern you want to go back to because things might feel really difficult. Mm. And then thinking about actually making sure there's safeness, so making sure you can find a, a space where it feels safe to talk about it, where it's not going to be shut down, and, and process what's happening. I think that, that sense of processing and, and letting the emotion come up and, and pass, because it mm. should pass, is really important. And maybe just kind of reminding yourself that it will pass. Mm. Yeah, this too will pass. This is uh, something mm. I, it's hard. I, I often forget to say to, my, to myself as well. <laughs> because I guess um, when, when, our, when, when our nervous systems have, have become primed, it's very hard to remember that because it's mm. just so overwhelmed. And so what you're wanting to do is just quickly shut it off. Mm. And I think we were talking about the business. You were saying work and busyness that will work. You know, for, I think for lots of people, when you go into a class, it takes quite a while often just to sort of begin to unwind from the yeah. busyness of work and family and driving and whatever else is going on. But and, not only uh, that, I think because of how we live our lives now, you know, how, right. I, I would, if we did a poll of all of your listeners, how many people look at their phones both before and after a yoga class, check social media. I think those things have become our habits in a way, which again can, especially, you know, if, if something's going on in the news and it really gets us angry, then, then actually, <laughs> you know, that, that constant reminder, our nervous systems are so primed for those type of things. Um, mm. It's not, you know, I think, you know, from, from that compassionate perspective, when we talk in compassion focused therapy about this very old system that we've got, we might be chased by a lion, but we're not living in environments where we are chased by a lion. Instead, we can look at our phone and it feel, you know, it triggers the same response. Yeah, and it, and it's a strange experience. I remember being uh, pre-pandemic, being in classes where the yoga teacher would remind people politely and kindly to turn off their phones. Mm. But <laughs> would definitely have a few people who for whatever reason just almost couldn't do it mm. just couldn't do it and uh, that's hard because you, you you're thinking oh, this is my time as well um, and actually how can we how can we explain that with a sense of compassion because mm. i guess if we tell people they might experience that as quite punitive um, because mm. that's when you know in terms of again those patterns they've always been told off and, and, and that then triggers the threat system. Mm. And it was interesting because Rangan, Rangan Chatterjee on his podcast recently had someone on David Sinclair talking about uh, ways to manage aging. And one of the things he talked about was uh, time-restricted eating, fasting. And Rangan Chatterjee had broadcast this and uh, had not mentioned it inadvertently and, and, and got a lot of, uh, I think, quite unpleasant comments, triggers, uh, saying, oh, you've triggered me off in terms of this, uh, those sorts of things. And he was explaining on a, a vlog saying, it was a mistake, I'm sorry. And But he, he, perhaps rather than sending me abuse, you could communicate to me what would be more helpful. Mm. 
And uh, and I liked that because he took it on the chin and said, yeah, but could you do this? This would be way more helpful than telling. <laughs> and I think that's uh, an important lesson for us all. Ah, Sunil, thank you so much. It's been a, a, a really interesting toe dip into the, the world of jo- yoga and it's so many facets. Is there anything else that you would like to say to the listeners? Because I, I'm sure they'll really appreciate it. And actually, I know there's always a, a warmth and support for doing those practices as well on something like a podcast, which doesn't normally happen. Mm, yeah. Um, I, I guess it's it's really about continuing with practice. I think mm. the, the lockdown has meant that people's practices have, have changed. And, and I think there's, there, there is something connecting to our bodies um, and, and not just it being about on the mat. I think, mm. you know, I'd really invite people to think about how their yoga classes can take them off the mat in terms of patterns that they recognize, whether it's in their body or, or their mind. And again, how to, if, if we think about one of the definitions of yoga being about uniting, how can we put our mind and our body together um, in this world where we live in a very separate way? Mm, thank you so much. That's really, that's great. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, I really enjoyed the episode. It was really good talking to Sunil as well. And it made a, it was a real nice connection having um, been to this uh, online training. It was sadly, it was supposed to be face to face, but like many things with COVID, it, it uh, uh, wasn't to be. So I really, really hope you enjoyed it. They'll, um, uh, and tomorrow, that's Friday. Uh, there will be a new ordinary episode out of um, Kulaverse, but we will be having more specials and, and let me know if you enjoyed it. If you like the show and, and the show is developing and will continue to develop, but if you like the show, check out Kulaverse.com, www. obviously. And, uh, you know, if you can support the show, there are different levels at Ko-Fi or Coffee. I never quite know how to say that, where you can uh, give a donation, one-off donation. Or if you like the uh, merchandise, um, you can have a look at some of that, which is all sort of ethical, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, or, you know, just tell a friend, subscribe on Apple, uh, leave a review up to a five-star review, follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever, um, I'm really, really grateful. I'm really grateful for the feedback I've had. Uh, for you, the listeners, uh, for the kind words, and also for the support of um, Han Hanzakova. Uh, there's a link to her work on the website. She's a, an artist, a graphic artist, an animation artist. So if you ever need anything like that, please check her out. Um, but it really means a lot, um, all the support and kindness, um, because the show does take a lot of time to do and to try and do it to the best of my ability. So uh, forgive any little blips and glips. And uh, I wish you a very kind um, and compassion-filled day. Goodbye and thank you. Mm-hmm.